Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Hello, welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, and if you are looking to successfully navigate the journey from recognizing to rebuilding after toxic relationships, you're in the right place. Today, I have a return guest. I'm really excited, Dr. Laura Dabney. She was with me before in episode 164, and at that time, we talked about What's the difference between being self-centered, selfish, and narcissistic? That was a big one. So if that interests you, go back and listen. So I invited Dr. Laura to be with us again today because there's a question that comes up all the time, which is, well, can the narcissist change? Will the narcissist finally relax and believe I love them? And that's a big question. So Dr. Laura Dabney is a psychiatrist, and she has made a career of taking on the biggest challenges in psychiatry and helping people find and live the relationships with their dreams. The ones that we're talking about are not the ones of dreams, a little bit more in the nightmare category. So welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. So happy to be here again. Yes, it's a great conversation that we started, and I wanted to continue this one. This question keeps coming up repeatedly. Um, if if I is there something I can do that will help the person change? If the person seems to change, is it a sustainable change? What's really going on? So let's just talk about the differences first of all be, between someone who has narcissistic tendencies and someone who's actually a diagnosable case of narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, I, I draw the distinction there with the narcissist personality disorder in full-blown view is someone who has no insight, um, no awareness that they have a trail of damaged relationships behind them, that they may have a role in it, um, that they may need to make some changes or whatnot to accommodate uh, an ongoing intimate relationship. The person with narcissistic traits has those insights. They just haven't been able to, they, they know something's wrong they, they can't grasp what it is exactly. You know, they, 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 they think they might be playing a role in it. They're willing to take a look at their role in it. Those people we can work with, right? <laughs> the, the person who doesn't, no matter if they're a narcissist or any personality disorder type, if they don't have any insight or awareness or will to change or need to change, then it, it's, it's useless. Well, I love that distinction because it's clear, you know, if a person is in relationship with a person who has narcissistic tendencies and they say to them, do you know, everything that we do is all about you, how it affects you. You're not interested in me at all. And the person says, yeah, 
what's wrong with that? <laughs> they don't have any insight, right? <laughs> right. Or even, you know, there's no, they don't have a drive to, basically that person saying we have a problem. There's no drive for them. There's no curiosity, there's no drive to well, what's my role in it, you know, uh, um, yeah, so that's <laughs> that's a huge problem. And they may not even have any empathy for what the other person is going through, particularly if they are in the category of narcissistic personality disorder. You're an inconvenience. What do you mean you have a problem? What do you mean you have a feeling? What do you mean you'd like things to be different? I'm the arbiter of what goes on in this relationship. Exactly. Empathy is a huge piece. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes. And so I, I love that distinction because people can have narcissistic tendencies. They can be fearful, for instance, very, very fearful, and they don't know territory about how to deal with another human. So they just keep coming back to their own experience. And we can think, oh, well, you talk about yourself all the time. Well, then when you say to them, hey, you know, I was talking about an issue and I'm really interested in your thoughts on my issue. Could we stick with that? A person who just doesn't know better will say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't notice. And they'll lean into you. But if you have a person who has actually narcissistic personality disorder, they're going to say, well, why should we talk about that? I don't have any problems. I don't create any problems. Not about me. That's your problem. And it's your fault because we get a lot of that where it, everything is your fault because a person who's narcissistic cannot entertain the idea of something being their fault, can they? I like to think about it as the narcissist can't have anybody join them. They have a hierarchy in everything and they have to be at the top. No, They can never consider they might be wrong or made a mistake or if they do they have to bring the other person down further so well i may not have got it right but you really screwed up and you screwed up a million times oh, i screwed up yes once. but it's always everybody has to be down if you think about the good teachers or the good mentors or even the good friends that you've had they want to pull you up into their expertise they they get joy out of seeing you succeed or get it or join them on some venture that you used to not know but the narcissist is the opposite. They just cannot handle anybody being in that, sharing that space with them. Good distinction, because it happens so frequently that people are dismissed because they will not let them into that space. We cannot be equal. We cannot have equal airtime. We cannot be equally distraught. Nothing in that way can make us equals. Exactly. And it's important for us to notice that because when you step back and you start saying, yeah, this is a pattern. This is actually going on in the relationship. It's not just a bad moment or a bad week or a bad patch. This is actually the way the relationship runs generally. That's when you can have the insight to say, hmm, I'm being blamed for everything, but everything may very well not be my fault. Right. And that's what you said earlier about saying to somebody, hey, this is all about you. I don't know if you're aware, but I feel like it's all about you. I feel like you don't really ask me a lot or let me share the space. It, that's what I encourage my patients who are with a narcissist to say to see what happens, because that can be the distinction right there. If you do say to somebody all those things this is what I'm seeing and they go, oh, my gosh, I have no idea. 
then that's a workable person. If they don't say that and, and never said that, then you, you want to move on. Mm-hmm. And it's an important distinction also because you need to know where to put your energy. Like <clears throat> some people feel like I'm going to lean in and I'm, this person is insecure. They've never been loved. They don't understand. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to support you. I'm with you 100%. And you keep expecting I'm going to pour into their bucket. They're going to rise to the top and they're going to go, oh, thank you. I, I now can relax in life and I don't have to be in competition with everything that moves. But that actually is not going to happen if you're with someone who has MPD. Right, exactly. They will not let that hierarchy down for anything. It's what they it's their whole identity. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever their background is, that's what they're holding on to for dear life, not you. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the question then comes up, can a narcissist actually love you? You know, that's a really good question and I think they can make the, uh, they know, they can imitate society, look like they are, but that's when you get fooled into it. And that's where people lose their perspective because they're not looking at what's happening during these tense moments. And when you're asking them, hey, can you please pay attention to me or let me in? And they're like, oh. so, right. So they can fake it. But it's a big difference between faking it and it being the real thing. Well, the way I describe it to people is narcissists don't have love to give you. They have uses for you. And they can do this love bombing thing where they look like your soulmate. It's almost like they have an 18th sense, like pheromones. They can smell what you need. They can sense what you need. And yes, they see that they could capture you. So they pour into you all of that understanding. They give you gifts. They take you places. They leap in and say, you know, I know we've just begun, but I love you. And I know we're going to be together forever. Let's have a baby. Um, anything to get you into hooked in. You know, when I wrote Escaping the Hijackal Trap, I put a whole chapter in there called the gotcha factor, because that's the personality that they portray in order to get you. So then they can let down and behave any old way they want in their dismissive, degrading, demeaning ways. So we don't want to confuse the fact that what may look like love may be grooming to use you. Right. And the other thing, these people who are in relationships with narcissistic personality disorder, people don't realize that when they're pouring in the love and pouring in the love, they think they have endless uh, amount of love to do or and they, they don't realize they need to have that in return. All good relationships, it, the neediness goes back and forth. You, I'm going to take tend to your needs and you tend to tend to mine. But if you don't get that needs tended to, tended to, you do become they become resentful. And uh, they're saving up all that resentment and it, that can come blowing out. Um, so it's very, <laughs> it's very challenging to get people who want to do all that saving of narcissists to see that, hey, no, you need that because they have somehow made themselves believe they don't. Mm-hmm. Red flag. Oh, it is. And and uh, for those listeners who haven't listened to episode 115, that's what Dr. Laura Javney is referring to, not my episode 115, but what I talk about in there, which are the three must-haves of a healthy adult relationship. And that's the absolute bedrock of a healthy adult relationship, no matter which one that is, but more so for a romantic relationship. And those are equality, 
reciprocity and mutuality. And the reciprocity was what you were referring to. Like, I'll lean into you, you'll lean into me, we will balance each other out, we will be there for each other, it'll work really well. But when you're in a narcissistic situation where one person has narcissistic needs, you're going to bend over backwards, double, and make yourself into a pretzel, and still you won't be good enough to meet their needs. They'll keep moving the marker, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and to look into yourself and why would you, you know, they say, should we tr- keep trying? And my question is, why would you want to keep trying? <laughs> what is it about you that you want to have it be so one way? So we really have to look at what the damage part of the person who keeps going after the narcissistic person. We have to really take a look at that too, Mm -hmm. as well as educating them about narcissistic people. Yes, yes, because it is something that two people engage in. And if you're not careful and you make excuses for the other person, you rationalize their behavior, you justify their behavior, you end up enabling their behavior. And then you get trapped in what you were just talking about, which is, okay, now I'm leaning in and what do I want? I want people to feel sorry for me because I've given away everything that I have and I'm depleted. Well, yes, I feel sorry for you that you've done that. And what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah, it's a sad way to deplete yourself doing too much for another human. It's that balance between compassion for others and self-compassion. And if that balance isn't maintained, that's what I talk about anyway, I, I believe if that balance isn't maintained, you get into these deficit situations where you're overgiving. And I just put out a graphic that says overgiving is undertaking and that's emotional suicide. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because we'll do that. You know, somebody really, really wants you to like them will be that warm puppy saying, how do you like me so far? What can I do? How can I change? How can I come when you call and how can I get a treat from you? And when you're in that situation, you're living up to somebody's expectations to the degree that you lose yourself. Right. And you don't, if you don't get that in return, your bucket's not full and you're not the most productive person you can be. Um, I just was with a patient who is having this distinction problem and she wants to keep, she'll, she now can see the problem. She's dating multiple people, but she keeps landing with these narcissistic people so to get her to see makes her feel guilty so these people who tend to keep choosing narcissists have a terrible time with saying there's something wrong here with you i I love them so i but i so i feel guilty saying anything negative in my head about this person so they this whole identity that i'm all happiness and light is very dangerous fantasy Yes, and and I think it plays into one of my real pet peeves, Laura, (laughs) which is there are two phrases I would like to take out of the English language first. One of them is brutal honesty, because I don't believe that's required. Um, Honesty is honesty. It doesn't have to be brutal. But the one that that tapped into what you just said is give until it hurts. If you buy into that philosophy, the world would all be hurting. And if you think that it makes you a good person to overgive consistently without receiving in return, you have some idea that that is 
a good person, a nice person, a, a spiritually aware person does that change your mind. <laughs> Take a hard look at that. <laughs> yeah, because you are buying into something that's damaging to you and you believe that if you keep doing it, it'll finally be good for you and it is more and more damaging. So let's go back to the idea of can a narcissist actually love you? And the kind of place that we came to was, well, not really because they may have an understanding of what love is supposed to look like. The actual feeling is not within them, so how can they give it? You know, in, in Kaizen for Couples, I talk about the fact that you can't give a gift you don't have. I may really want to give you this pen, but if I don't have this pen, I can't say, here, Laura, have this pen. <laughs> I can say, I really like to give you a pen but I don't have one, so I can't give it to you. So if I don't have love, and let's not ever mistake narcissistic pride, arrogance, and delusion for loving themselves, it really isn't that. They simply have uh, something that is is different than love, in my opinion. They have uh, delusions of grandeur about who they are and their place in the world. That is not that they love themselves. We, we can get really tied up in that. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, we could talk about this forever. But the, you know, <laughs> so I, I see it as also what you described definitely is right on the, hitting the nail on the head, but they also love parts of you. So when they're when they're, the part of you that they love is there, such as the one catering to and letting them shine, they'll, they love you. But as soon as you do something that doesn't work for them or somehow gets to their level, which makes them feel threatened, they don't love that party. They don't, they, they, they'll reject you. So it's this very on again, off again type of feeling that can be very unsettling. And that's a clue that you might be with somebody who's got a narcissistic personality disorder. You know, but I want to dig that one down a little deeper because is that really love or is that momentary approval of you? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's back <laughs> to the whole, I, you're serving me, so I love you. But that's where the confusion gets in the people. Like, I, I think they, they say they love me. They will do all these things for me, but they're not doing the give and take part that is such a crucial component of an intimate relationship. Right. I say they can't do intimacy. Yeah. Um, because that has to be open with sympathy. They have to have a good self-esteem and have empathy. Um, and those two things are lacking in a person with personality disorder. I agree. And I also put out a meme that says, never mistake possessiveness for intimacy or intensity for intimacy. Because we can get very confused then when they focus on us and they, they want something. And so you become vulnerable and open and maybe you you allow them in to know some of your darker secrets and and you you think that that's going to build intimacy. And then you are absolutely distraught when you find out that they've weaponized it and they hit you with it as as a weakness, as a, a problem with you. And here you saw that you were having these intimate, wonderful moments where you were really getting to the depths of your souls together. And really, they were in there searching, like, how can I use something against you? And I'll do it at the most inopportune times, preferably in front of somebody. Exactly, exactly. It makes it even more damaging. Yeah, right. it's creepy. 
they look for these pleasers, these people who think they don't need to have their buckets filled back up, um, and they find them, and that's why because they stick together longer than you would ever imagine. Um, that, that they know that they just stay away from people who are healthy or can recognize their problems. Yeah. Now, how about their children? Do narcissists love their children? In your view, I think it's the same. I really don't think they can. Again, love like we are defining love. It's a real intimate back and forth. I often talk about um, the so if a, so if a child, especially when they get to be an adult, that really gets risky because then they're coming up to their level, right? So if it's a teenager who, let's say, uh, I don't know, it's like failing a class, failing one of the classes, a parent will say, well, "What are you going to do with that? What, what's your plan with that?" They'll ask, what, "What's going on? What are you going to do with that? What's what's your plan?" The narcissistic parent will. Um, suggest a solution you, know, you need a tutor and the kid will say if it's a healthy child say well you know i think we're going to study with this these friends like this study group i'm gonna give that a try the um healthy parent will say the same thing maybe i think you should have a tutor um so when the kid comes back and let's say gets the grade up to a b the healthy parent will say wow i was i was wrong you really you, good for you you did it with your friends the narcissistic parent will say well you know, if you did it my way, you'd have an A. Right. So, so they really, so is that love? You know, it, it, it's just, what's the definition of love? I think there's no intimacy there because the, the, that, the healthy parent can let the child have that win. You know, they can be wrong or temporarily wasn't the best solution. And that, I, you know, that's love or that's intimacy, at least. You're, you're opening up, letting the person see what you wanted, but also allowing that person to be able to grow and make decisions for their own life that you wouldn't make. Yeah, good example. You know, I, I often say that narcissists have children for three reasons, and this is my idea entirely, but just to help people understand. Uh, one reason is to have people who will agree with them. One is to have people who will serve their needs. And one is to have people who will make them look good. And if as a child, you don't do any of those three things, it's not going to go so well. Now, the same thing is true of a partner. They want the partner for the same three things, but so much more complex when you are shaping a person your child and shaping how they think about themselves by their being reflected in a narcissistic parent. So the child has two ways to go. They can become like the narcissistic parent and drop their own needs and become that bastion of agreeing and serving and validating the narcissist, or they can shatter and become really taken apart and many other things in between. So I think it's really important for anyone who's ever been in a narcissistic regime. I had two hijackal parents, you know, hijackal is my non-clinical term for the traits, behaviors, um, patterns, um, cycles of these people. I had two parents like that. I'm an only child. So woohoo. I had two people pouring into my bucket in dysfunctional ways. <laughs> and when I went to look for help when I was a teenager, um, there was no help. And the way that I express that here on Save Your Sanity is that <clears throat> Hijackals paint a public picture of perfection, and at home they provide a private place of pain. Mm -hmm. 
So as a teenager, I'd, I'd go and say, you know, it's awful at my house. And people would say, oh, you know, your parents are wonderful. They do this and they do the other thing. And it was very, very lonely. So it's important to understand that too, that how a, hij a hijackal or a narcissist or a person with narcissistic tendencies treats you at home may be very difficult to describe to people in public who never see those behaviors. So true. It's so common that they, that these, I mean, they say the most public people, the most wonderful partiers and I don't know, um, people in society are often narcissistic because that's, they rise to the top and people think they're wonderful and that works for them. <laughs> like at home when they get challenged or um, call them the carpet or whatever it is that they fall apart a little bit. I just want to add also that mo since narcissists can't really survive with anybody in a relationship for very long, unless they're those super pleasers, then the job of a parent is often to uh, watch the relationship and, you know, sort of call the other parent on behavior they think is not helpful for their children. But narcissists aren't going to have those parents in place. So even if it's not a hijackal, if it's, it's often going to be somebody who can't step in and save the child or save, go behind closed doors and say, Hey, it's not work. Your relationship is so-and-so you've got to take a look at that. You've got to work on that because they're not going to listen. So they don't even get that parent to step in on their behalf. Instead, it all becomes, we have to support the narcissist. Right. And so, yes, that child gets that sense. Well, that's what we have to do. That's my identity to support the narcissist in our family. Yes. Cause it's scary not to, and I'm a kid. <laughs> and my whole definition of myself is coming from these adults in my family. They're the only ones I know about. And as I become a teenager, I see it doesn't happen at so-and-so's house. Uh, what's going on? And things get a little a little muddy. That's when we get into the um, individuation where someone says, no. A child says, teen says, no. No, no. I'm, you know, I'm not going to put up with this. And then the challenge is on if you have a narcissistic parent because they have to, have to, have to be right. Therefore, you have to, have to, have to be wrong. And that gets really and truly messy. So how could a person determine, in your opinion, the difference between being loved and being used? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I do think, um, again, back to if you're able to, I, for any kind of red flag behavior, you know, it could be, as you said, a, a, an off day, they could be scared or their defenses are blowing up for whatever reason. So to be able to go and challenge that, um, to test it, asking them, telling them your viewpoint. And if you get back a, oh, oh my gosh, I, I, I didn't realize that. That's not what I meant. Please let me explain. Let me make that up to you. Okay. That's not a red flag. and It's not being used per se. But if they love you, they're going to have that empathy, be able to open up and say the things that, you know, you need to hear that will help you. Um, if they don't say that, then they're just using you or if they disappear, they ghost you or start trashing you on social media or to your friends, then it's probably you're being used. Yes, and nobody wants to be used. I mean, that's... If, if you sit at home and say, I think I'm being used, you don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling. 
Exactly. And it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to get better because people who use you just can't change. That's such an ingrained uh, character trait that that no amount of love being poured in, as you said, isn't going to change that person. Right. So I think we've made enough of a point that, People who have narcissistic moments or people who are afraid and the things that we've talked about, and you say to them, you know, I'm in this conversation too, and I don't feel heard. Do you think we could have a more equitable conversation? And they say, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. And they lean in. We can work with those people. But how about the ones who have truly hardwired narcissistic tendencies is there any any point at which they can change? Because this question comes up all the time. You know, I have a group on Facebook called Optimize Life After Emotional Abuse. The question comes up repeatedly. Well, can, you know, I, I see a little change. Can they really change? And my answer is always, yes, for a hot minute if they're afraid of losing you or if they really want something from you. But unlikely in the long run that there is going to be a sustained change. What do you say? Exactly. This, this, if, let's look back. <laughs> the, t- the attempts you've made to change, how long did they last? You know, what were you expecting? What did you get? I kind of try to help them see because until they see it and buy it, they're not going to make the change to try to find somebody else. Or my other response is, sure, they can change, but why do you want to give up, you know, 20 years of your life <laughs> waiting for that to happen? Because even if they develop the insight to change, Changing a narcissist, and I know you know this, is takes a very, very long time, multiple, multiple days a week in session for a decade or more. Yeah, monitoring every thought, every interaction, taking it apart, having it clearly seen, let having them have the willingness to go deep. And, you know, we're talking about like, this many people out of the whole world who are going to do that. Um, So the question that you ask is so, so well-placed. Are you willing to give up 20 years to see? Because you're not going to get those 20 years back again. We need to talk about that problem. (laughs) Why would you want to? Why why would you want to give up your time? You could be with somebody who's not narcissistic. And then, then they'll say this, Laura, well, I have kids. Or, or, but I love him. <laughs> yeah. So what do you say then? I always say, but you're, you're acting like you can't love someone who's healthy. <laughs> yeah. Good point. And what about the kids? Do you want the kids to see this model all the time? And then we get to that question. You see that all these pieces are so related. So I'm glad we have this chance to talk about it. We get to that question of, all right, if I leave the person who is a narcissist or has strong narcissistic non-changing behaviors, they're going to behaving, be behaving with my children when I'm not there and I'm not going to see it and I'm not going to be able to protect my children because they're going to have some custody. And if I'm there, I can jump in all the time. And so they try to justify their behavior in that way. Do you think there are times in the ages and stages of children's growth when it's better to separate or better to stay together? I think it's better to separate before the kids are, you know, even in the one year old, two year old stage or the older, the better, just because the kids have more 
you know, um, insight and more um, ego strengths to handle, it's a serious loss for them. It's going to be a grief for them. But you're sticking around to make sure the narcissist doesn't hurt them isn't going to work anyway. The narcissist is going to hurt them. By not sticking around, you're setting an example of how they should be running from narcissists in the future. You can't speak out both sides of your mouth and say, you know, don't get into a relationship with a narcissist if you won't get out of a relationship with a narcissist. Ooh, good point. I'm sure you just hit a few people right there where they live at that point because it, it's true. It comes back to you. Don't you think you deserve to have an equitable, reciprocal, mutual relationship then which you can develop intimacy because you're with someone who has emotional maturity? And if you don't think you deserve that or you don't think that's the model that your children deserve to see, maybe you want to rethink that. Mm-hmm. Really, seriously rethink that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when do you think you should give up hoping? As soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see, I, I think I think people get hooked on hope and that 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 love bombing person that they met that swept them off their feet that was everything that they ever wanted for a hot minute. I think they get hooked on hope that that person is the real person. And if they could just find the pathway back, that person will appear again. And so they keep being hooked on hope that I fell in love with the right person. I'm just not doing things well enough or right enough or long enough or quietly enough. And if I just find a way to make myself into a pretzel and a doormat, that person will reappear and I'll be happy and validated again in my choice. But the actual fact is staying hooked on hope is that you're not seeing what's in front of you on a daily basis. I emphasize to my people who are dating, um, either, again, either after one of these people they've been involved with or um, just dating at all, is you can determine narcissistic personality disorder pretty quickly. And to not just see it as a date and getting all, like you said, swept up in a bit, keep your wits about you and pay attention. It's, you should have fun on a date, but it's also really like an interview. You're trying to decide you know, to the best of your knowledge, trying to avoid any future disasters. So keep your eyes and ears open, keep your critical judgment about you. It doesn't make you mean or bad to keep in your mind that this, this is odd. This is weird. This is not working for me. That's keeping yourself safe. That's our jobs as adults. It's your responsibility as an adult to take care of yourself first. No one else can do that. No one else can sense when you're upset or angry uh, or um, taken aback. So yeah. your job to then explore that a little further, you know, oh my gosh, they're drinking a lot, you know, just, Hey, you know, maybe you've had a little too much to drink or, Hey, you know, you were, I was kind of worried you were half an hour late. What do they say? That'll spell it yeah. all out right there. You can do that in the first date, second date. Yeah. And two other things I would add to those very good points are how did they treat the wait staff? Are they demanding? Are they discrediting? Are they hard to please? And the second thing is, do they immediately talk and badmouth previous people they've been in a relationship with? Or why did the past relationship end? Someone who's not a narcissist will be equitable in that. You know, well, you know, it didn't work out. She had some faults. I didn't handle them well. Something along those lines. There'll be a balance. Narcissists won't take any responsibility at all. 
No, that was a wildly crazy off the wall person. I don't know how I ever got hooked up with them. I had no idea they were that wild and crazy and, you know, absolutely a mess. And actually I've met a few of them and then you go, Oh, you have a pattern of bad mouthing the people that you take no responsibility for having chosen. Okay. Little red flag here. Big red flag, as a matter of fact. So if you finally get to the place where you give up hoping that they're going to change and you remove yourself from the situation, how do you make sure that the work that you need to do is what you pay attention to? Because you and I both know that if you don't do the work, you're going to go and find yourself in a similar situation. Yeah, a little bit like what we were saying about the narcissist. You can't just say, well, they were a narcissist. I have to get out. Really, if you in a relationship with someone with a severe personality disorder like that, it's a gift to yourself to figure out what drew you to them and kept you with them. Because it's definitely going to repeat itself. There's something from your past that made you think to be treated this way was okay. And it's just going to keep going. Mm Mm-hmm. And not only keep going in your life, but that's the model you're giving your children. So they're getting the idea that, okay, this is how you do it. This is acceptable. This is the way a relationship works. I remember a long time ago, Laura, I was uh, teaching at the college. I was teaching um, classes to new parents of children, one to three And I would say to them, I sure hope you enjoyed the three minutes, if it was three minutes of conception. And they would all go, oh, what? I said, because in those enjoyable few minutes, you just undertook a lifetime of demonstrating to a new being what it is to be a man and a woman and a man and a woman and or a woman in relationship. You just became their first model of what it is to be healthy and you know, there was silence in that room every single time. <laughs> it's a big undertaking. Huge undertaking. And really, you are kidding yourself if you think you can say one thing and demonstrate another. Kids absorb what your patterns are. They absorb the patterns between you and your spouse. It's. It, I, I have actually had to, um, some people who couldn't let go of that identity that I'm a helper said, if you can't do it for you, what you need to come here and do it for your children. That will usually get a mom. Uh, if I can't get them in for the, to take care of themselves, I get them in because they're the helpers, you know, this will help your children uh, avoid this kind of relationship for themselves. Yes. And Oh, by the way, in helping that understanding, I think it'll do a little good for you too, mom. <laughs> They do come for the kids. They tend to figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So before we go, and I want everybody to know, I'm talking to Dr. Laura Dabney. You can find her at Dr. D-R-L-D-A-B-N-E-Y.com, DrLDabney.com. And of course, we're having a wonderful conversation because she's brilliant and has great insights that are down to earth and applicable. That's why I enjoy talking to her so much. But before we go, Laura, What's the best way to indicate a need for change to a narcissist? Many times people ask me that question. I have my opinion, but I'd like to know yours. I'm sorry. I just don't understand the question. So what, uh, the narcissist needs to change or the person? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not happy in this relationship. I think I'm in a relationship with a narcissist. Do I speak up? Do I say you're a narcissist and you need to change? 
what's the best way to address the problem once I realize what's happened? Well, you know, a lot of that depends. But if you feel like you're not sure or you feel you've been mistreated and don't know how to deal with that, I would just go get help. I mean, go talk to somebody who's a coach, a therapist, a counselor, just one time. You know, people tend to think, well, I can't go in to see a therapist. I don't want to go in every week. It's not a weekly. No one holds your feet to the fire for a weekly commitment. <laughs> we'll talk to you just one session with a counselor might open up your eyes to, you know, are you on the right track? Are you on the right thinking, what what are your plans? Are they reasonable? Just one session can help you put that together. Yeah, and in, in addition to that, one session or maybe a couple of sessions can validate you to the point where you say, oh, I'm not crazy. Everything isn't my fault. And that is empowering to have a third person, a neutral party validate the situation from a perspective that is not your best friend saying, oh, that's awful. <laughs> You're not alone. You, you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. If you see people who experience in this and can walk you through it. Yes. So do that. Go over there and, and um, find that person. Definitely look at the material on Dr. Laura Dabney's website, DRL for Laura, Dabney, D-A-B-N-E-Y dot com, Dr. Laura Dabney dot com. And you can always find me at For Relationship Help. There's so much we could talk about. So Dr. Laura and I have agreed we're going to talk again in a few months and bring another topic to light. So go back and listen to episode 164, where I talked with Dr. Laura about the distinctions between being self-centered, selfish, and narcissistic. And then, of course, thank you so much for today's insight. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy. So if you have been here before, I'm glad you found value in return. If you're new to listening to Save Your Sanity, I'm so glad you found us. And until we talk again, take very good care of yourself because you're precious and you matter. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.